This is Casey Hendrickson on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Once again, I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Do you want to thank R&B Car Company, locations in South Bend and Warsaw? You can also find them online at rbcarcompany.com. Some of the things we have for you today. Hunter Biden's explicit photos. Some of them have been revealed. Several studies are also challenging the COVID narratives. These are news studies. And the Biden campaign has been forced to pull a deceptive ad in the state of Michigan. And, of course, tons more. In fact, speaking of Michigan, let's just leave off in Michigan. It's interesting was how they really pushed the whole vote by mail, vote by mail, vote by mail, vote by mail. Not safe to vote in person. All of the research showed that it was totally safe to vote in person. Places that did vote in person did not have any outbreaks of COVID. Didn't really make a lot of sense unless you were looking at the potential mail-in ballot fraud thing. And we have had several examples of mail-in ballot fraud already just in the primaries and throughout this process. Not to mention the 16 elections that have been invalidated by the courts in recent years. So let's go to the Michigan Secretary of State, Jocelyn Benson, said yesterday that voters with absentee ballots should submit them via a Dropbox or turn them in at the local clerk's office rather than submitting them through the mail. Okay, this is actually a step, it's more so in the right direction, all right? So uh, this is a complete reversal. Obviously, some of the legal cases in the United States have made this difficult um, for the Trump administration, and some of them have made it difficult for the Democrats. Uh, Michigan was one of those places that they said we're not going to extend that two-week deadline. The Associated Press reported that the state official noted that dropping off a ballot by hand will make certain that the vote arrives by 8 p.m. on the day of the election and gets counted. Remember, they had tried to get two weeks after the election where you could be able to get this stuff there. Uh, That was knocked down by the courts. Now, in Pennsylvania, the three-day extension has been upheld. Uh, Benson also reportedly said that those who still wish to ask for an absentee ballot should seek it from the clerk in person rather than trying to obtain it via mail. Well, that just doesn't sound very, very safe. We want to ensure that every valid vote counts and is received on time, like the qualifier there, valid vote. Over half of the more than 3 million absentee ballots requested have already been returned, according to the Associated Press. So, If you are in Michigan, they are telling you for your vote to be counted, you had better drop it off in person at one of the drop boxes or uh, the, uh, God, hold on. What's the specific place? Where did it go? I don't want to give you bad information here. (sighs) Drop off the ballot by hand. Well, it just says by hand. So you do it at the the clerk's office or the uh, drop box, I guess. So sorry. I just want want to make sure that I, I didn't give you any information that wasn't exactly accurate because then everybody's going to jump down my throat. There's always going to be some volunteer out there that's going to get mad at me. Uh, also, let's take a look at Governor Whitmer. And you just heard the the governor is now blaming the, uh, the Supreme Court of Michigan knocking her mask order down for the rise in cases in Michigan, which, by the way, we're, we're going up before the, the ruling from the state Supreme Court. But, you know, that doesn't that doesn't get get mentioned a whole lot. 
Governor Gretchen Whitmer, Democrat of Michigan, said Tuesday on CNN's Anderson Cooper 360 that President Donald Trump's rhetoric has caused hate crimes to increase exponentially over the last four years. No. That is a constantly debunked lie. Uh, Cooper said, when you heard the crowd at President Trump's rally over the weekend chanting, lock her up, referring to you, I don't know if it surprised you, given all you've been through and come to expect, but the fact that that's where this has sunk and the president still continues to attack you in the wake of this is stunning. What, you mean those leftists who were planning on kidnapping her because they didn't like her policies? You mean those those people, the people who hated Donald Trump, those people? Yeah, it's Trump's fault. Exactly. Um, so, again, she's she's out there. She's saying things that aren't true. I know that none of you are really surprised by all of this. Um, I, I can pull up the hate crimes, legisla- uh, not legislation, but the hate crime statistics if you really want me to. Uh, the UCR just came out, by the way. But there hasn't been an exponential rise in this, uh, at least not in reported cases. Now, you could certainly argue that there has been a rise in hate crimes, political hate crimes, if you will, because people have been attacking Trump supporters uh, at random intervals for several years now. You know, people just minding their own business in a restaurant. All of a sudden, they get attacked. A little kid got attacked by two women for crying out loud. But it is, again, this is the narrative that they're weaving. It's Donald Trump's same thing. Understand something. They're using the same playbook against Trump now that they used against him in 2016. Now, who knows if it's going to work this time around, but it didn't work in 2016. Uh, but they are using the exact same playbook. All violence, everything is is all because all because of Donald Trump, when in fact all of that violence in 2016 was actually the Robert Creamer group was funded by the Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC, and it was designed to discredit Trump and discredit Biden, or not Biden, excuse me, Bernie, sorry, Freudian slip. Uh, it was designed to discredit both of their supporters in order to help Hillary win. So now we've got this ad in Michigan. So we've kind of talked about this a little bit. I've, I've written about it. I've posted about it on social media. They ran an ad in Michigan. And in this ad, they had the owner of the Blind Pig, which is a, a bar, okay, that um, is Ann Arbor. It's in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So they, they run this ad. And the owner, Joe Malcoon of of the Blind Pig, he's a co-owner, he's talking about how Donald Trump's lockdowns, and this is the thing that I I keep pointing out to people, and it's really funny to watch leftists really argue this point. They all say that Donald Trump didn't do enough and didn't take enough actions, but then they blame Donald Trump for the lockdowns that they say we need more of and that they're attacking him we're saying it's okay to start reopening. So on one hand, you've got leftists arguing we need more lockdowns, more strict lockdowns. And on the other hand, they're saying Trump is is a bad guy for locking the country down. Well, again, you can't have it both ways. Which one do you want? Do you want more lockdowns or do you not want more lockdowns? You've got to make that decision. But if you're not going to make that decision, you're just going to keep talking out of both ends of your your mouth, and we're going to continue to have nonsensical conversations about this. But this commercial, which was, again, is a Biden ad that ran in Michigan, has Joe Malcoon, who, again, co-owner of the Blind Pig in Ann Arbor, Michigan. It's a bar. He says, for 50 years, the Blind Pig has been open and crowded, but right now, it's an empty room. 
All right. And he blamed Trump for that. Except it has nothing to do with Trump. Oh, uh, and this guy who is portrayed as just a struggling bar owner is an extremely wealthy tech angel investor. He is not a struggling bar owner. He's also somebody who supported the lockdown, supported not having any customers in his business. The people who are really opposed to the lockdowns are people who can't make their livelihoods. This is not one of those guys. So what ended up happening, they were deceiving everybody with this this ad for the struggling bar owner. But in fact, he's an extremely rich tech CEO who not only is an angel investor, an angel investor is somebody who invests large sums of money uh, for business ventures and things like that privately, but also he is a major money pusher for the Democratic machine in the state of Michigan. They didn't tell you all of that in the ad. Bit of a deceptive ad, don't you think? And so all of his old social media posts supporting lockdowns, closing everything down, saying, yeah, this is going to suck, but we have to do this. This is the right thing to do. Which, for the record, governors did. The president didn't do. president didn't do the lockdowns, folks. Governors did that. This is how a representative republic works. Gretchen Whitmer was upset that Trump wasn't forcing her to lock down. Remember that? And then finally, somebody had to tell her, oh, by the way, that's your job. And she goes, oh, okay. <laughs> this is, it's just bizarre. So the Biden campaign has now pulled the ad because they got caught once again portraying one of their operatives as your standard run-of-the-mill voter. And this, this happens a lot. And it's happened several times already with the Biden campaign. But this happens a lot in Democratic Party politics. Tons. I'm sure it happens uh, to, to an extent in Republican politics, too. On a national level, we just don't really have those examples. Probably on a local level, I would assume. But on the national scale, this is, this is almost an exclusive Democratic Party tactic. So they've had to pull the ad because they were deceiving voters about who this guy was and, and what actual financial impact he was getting. Oh, and he supported the lockdowns he's now attacking the president for in the ad. So the Biden campaign was forced to pull those ads. Uh, I don't think that those ads were were fact-checked and censored by social media, even though we've known who this guy is for several days now. Got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Once again, I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Just so you know, uh, the 2019 hate crimes data has not been released yet. They, they expected to be out uh, this season. The UCR came out, but they apparently decided to do a separate uh, hate crimes thing. So in 2017, from 2017 to 2018, the incidence of hate crimes actually declined. So just in case you, you were kind of curious about that, the number of, of incidents declined, the number of victims declined, uh, the number of known offenders declined. But, you know, hey, you can go ahead and you can have have all of the Gretchen Whitmers out there that you want telling you this uh, this stuff because... Why, why not? I mean, why not go out there and, and attack people for it? Because that's, that's what we're doing. Uh, this, so this is, what is it, 762. So I can't say anti-white hate crimes went up. So from 2017 to 2018, in 2017, 741 anti-white crimes happened and 762 anti-white 
uh, white crimes happened in uh, in uh, 2018. Uh, Anti-black crimes went down. And did the Asian ones go up? Uh, Asians went up slightly. And where is the... Oh, another one that they push is the, uh, the Arab one. So uh, hate crimes against Arabs went down. Uh, hate crimes against Hispanics from 2016 to 2017 um, went up very slightly. Basically the same, but went up very, very slightly. So again, it's, it's important to keep these things in perspective when you just hear people spouting off. Um, but, you know, it, it, you, have, you have governors and you have politicians and you have activists who are all out there pushing narratives. Now, when we have the 2019 data that, that is released for the hate crimes report that we're expecting, we will certainly go over that. We always do. Uh, but just the data that we have available from 2017 to 2018, a very, com a very different sort of an outcome than what Gretchen Whitmer has been trying to tell all of you. All right, I want to go ahead and, and Joe, if you could just queue up that audio, get ready. So the gubernatorial debates happened for Indiana, and I just wanted to play you. This is a news piece from WLFI, and I thought that they did a pretty good job with sound bites. So, you know, obviously getting a gubernatorial montage together is not the easiest thing in the world to do. And they did a fairly good job of that. So I don't even know where they're located out of, but I like their videos. So I figured I would go ahead and, and play it for you so you can hear the candidates on various issues. Again, you got you got um, all of the candidates there, all three uh, that are on there. So I want you to just go ahead and pay attention, listen to this. And Joe, if you could roll it for me, that'd be great. The first of two gubernatorial debates took place this evening. It was conducted virtually by the Indiana Debate Commission. Everything from the COVID-19 pandemic, teachers' pay, and constitutional carry brought up during the hour-long debate. Here's a recap of what each candidate had to say. Three gubernatorial candidates for the state of Indiana took the debate stage tonight. Democratic nominee Dr. Woody Myers, Republican incumbent Governor Eric Holcomb, and Libertarian candidate Donald Rainwater each took different stances on how the pandemic has been handled so far. Dr. Woody Myers doesn't think Governor Holcomb has taken a strong enough stance on public safety. We do need a real mask mandate in Indiana, a mask mandate with consequences for the small percentage of Hoosiers who choose not to protect themselves or protect others. However, Rainwater feels it should be up to individuals to make their own decision on how to protect themselves from the virus. The reality is that there is no one-size-fits-all solution to anything, and there is no... Um, if you do this, you will be protected. Meanwhile, Holcomb defended his mask mandate, saying it sends the right message to Hoosiers. Our individual liberty needs to be guarded. When that liberty or those actions start to infringe on someone else, that's where we have to take a look at the public safety. Another topic of discussion that divided the candidates was constitutional carry, which first was able to carry on without a permit. A stance on the Second Amendment Donald Rainwater supports. I absolutely support constitutional carry in the state of Indiana, and I will work with the General Assembly to ensure that we get constitutional carry passed in 2021. Governor Eric Holcomb is worried a policy like this would make policing more difficult. We'll continue to cherish the Second Amendment, and I don't want to do anything that would put law enforcement in a more dangerous situation. Candidate Myers took a stronger stance on the topic by not supporting it at all. You know, the Second Amendment uh, is going to survive just fine without more individuals carrying more weapons around, brandishing them, uh, and scaring many members of the public. I just don't support it. As for the topic 
like of teachers pay. Holcomb says it has and still is a priority of his administration. We allocate over 50% of our total revenue, our budget, state budget, to education. Now, that doesn't mean that we're there yet. Candidate Meyer says more needs to be done. Indiana uh, can raise teacher salaries by prioritizing the education in the next budget, and I will do so as your next governor. As for Rainwater, he feels politics needs to be taken out of the process. Get control back to the parents, the teachers in the classroom, the local school boards and school districts who are able then to take the money that is allocated for education instead of it being spent on big bureaucracy. If you would like to watch the debate in its entirety, head to our website, WLFI.com. All right, go ahead and cut it out, Joe. Appreciate that. So, I mean, they gave you pretty much a, a nice little summary of, of where everybody stood. And if only, if only we had somebody like Myers to protect all of those early Americans back in the 17 and 18 and 1900s who carried their firearms openly from scaring, uh, scaring all of the, the other innocent people floating around. I wonder... Wonder what would have ever happened. Um, perhaps we would have been a better country, ladies and gentlemen, if a Myers had existed back then to tell everybody to put their big scary guns away. Um, you know, but again, it's it, I know Holcomb brought up the red flag laws and all of that. Holcomb has never really been on board with constitutional carry. We've talked about that before. Uh, it's you know I'll be I'll be honest with you, folks. It's you know Holcomb. Look, Holcomb's a nice guy. All right. Personally, I, I like the man uh, as a politician. He is exactly what I told you he was when he was running. And that is he is a, a soft, squishy Republican. And he's not a conservative. Uh, he's a neocon. He's the squishy neocon type. And there's nothing there's nothing inherently wrong with that. The issue is, is that if you are conservative, you're going to run into some real issues with him on various constitutional issues. For example, uh, what we just heard when it comes to constitutional carry, you start hearing about uh, some of these things. It always going to make things more difficult for the police. Again, how did the police operate for several hundred years in this country when that was when that was going on? I wonder, wonder how that that was able to be possible. Look, it's you know the, the mask mandate with teeth on it. <laughs> We've got enough local issues with that. You know, the governor doesn't need to be pushing a, a mask mandate with teeth. We've got the St. Joseph County uh, health people doing that themselves. I mean, they're they're paying visits to churches this last weekend for crying out loud. So th this is, I, I, I'll be honest, I think that there's going to be a lot of defectors to rainwater. Will there be enough to put Myers in the, the gubernatorial mansion? Probably not. But at the same time, I think that there's going to be a message sent to the Indiana Republican Party and to Governor Holcomb. We've got more coming up. You're talking 95.3 Michiana's News Channel. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3 Michiana's News Channel. Once again, I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Well, let's uh, let's talk about how that uh, stimulus package negotiation is happening. We'll get to that here in just a second. Also, a little bit later on, we're going to talk about Hunter Biden's explicit photos. Some of that stuff has been described for everybody. 
Uh, we've also got multiple confirmations that these are all authentic, uh, that there isn't anything that is inauthentic about all of this. We've also got several studies that are challenging the current COVID narrative. And what's interesting about that is that it is your typical uh, left-wing media that is now starting to to uh, to let you know about all of this stuff. And we're talking about peer-reviewed studies. We're not talking about preliminary lab results. So we'll get to all of that a little bit later as well. But with the stimulus thing, now I've been talking about this from the very beginning, and I told you that Nancy Pelosi does not want a stimulus package passed. She does not want that before the November election, period. She's going to get her way. Um, but the main reason that she doesn't want it passed, and she has said this multiple times on television, that she doesn't want Trump to, to give you a check with his name on it. That's really it. That's, that's the whole thing. So she has not negotiated in good faith from the very beginning. The Democrats almost didn't move at all. The Republicans have moved quite a bit. And, you know, you're now starting to see a lot of Democrats who are saying, hey, you need to start accepting the deal. And if you don't accept the deal, um, we're going to have a real big problem. Well, she went back and she started negotiating again, right? Or so it seems. Speaking on Hugh Hewitt's show, the White House Chief of Staff, Meadows, he went ahead, it's Mark Meadows, he went ahead and he said um, that Nancy Pelosi wasn't even really negotiating, which I'm not surprised about. You basically, you have the meeting, you sit down, you pretend you're negotiating, but you don't move anything. You don't have any kind of compromise that's happened, which is what she's been doing for months, well, weeks. Um, and then, well, yeah, you could say months, two months or so. So Hugh Hewitt asked, he said, how is this thing going anyway? You know, is, is Pelosi moving on any of this stuff or anything like that? And keep in mind, it's, they're really not that far off dollar-wise. They're really not. It's, uh, what is it, $1.8 trillion versus $2.2. It's just that she wants to use federal money to bail out the local governments that have been mismanaged for decades, long prior to covid and bail them out from their, their budget shortfalls. And the president has said, we're not going to use taxpayer dollars to do that. You guys were the ones that didn't run your governments well, and it's not our job to bail you out. It's your job to bail yourselves out. So this is what Mark Meadows had to say. Well, she's more leading us on than negotiating, but it does look like that at least there's a break. Uh, and I can tell you that I am having a discussion with some of her staff today, along with Chairman Shelby on the Republican side of the appropriations. She has not moved a lot. Her public rhetoric on how she's willing to compromise doesn't match the actual facts. Anybody who listens to Pelosi say that she's willing to compromise has not paid attention to this negotiating process over these past several weeks because she has not been willing, not been willing to negotiate. But we're hopeful that in the next 48 hours or so that there will be some breakthroughs where she actually starts negotiating. She hasn't really been negotiating. It's been more Secretary Mnuchin making compromises and trying to work through some language that we can get past in a bipartisan fashion. Uh, so, yeah, $1.8 trillion package from the, from the White House, $2.2 trillion from, uh, from uh, Pelosi. So, no, she's not really negotiating in good faith. And I know that you're super shocked and surprised to hear all of that. We've got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Tuning in, News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. And I, I just, folks, I am still, I, I am astounded that this is even happening. 
the Jeffrey Tubin stuff. Now, I did an article today. If you go to the burningtruth.us, you will see the article. And I, I wrote it up. I did my, my premium live stream on it as well. I'm not going to go that angle, so my premium content is different than what I'm about to say. But there is additional, okay, additional people out there in the media that are supporting Jeffrey Tubin. Now, Jeffrey Tubin again, is with The New Yorker. He's also a CNN legal analyst, and he's a huge anti-Trumper. And Jeffrey Tubin, on a conference call with The New Yorker staff, senior staff, uh, executives, that sort of thing, and a radio station, um, he diddled himself on, on video, on the Zoom meeting. He angled the camera towards him. He framed it, and he did it right there in front of people. Now, he says that he thought that he had turned the camera off and all of that other stuff. Okay, none of that's relevant. Absolutely none of it's relevant. And I kind of gave this analogy earlier today on my premium live stream. If you are in your office at work, and you don't lock your door, and they don't knock, and you're caught diddling yourself in your office, you get fired, there isn't a, oh, oh, well, it's uh, your private space. You should uh, you should totally be able to do whatever you want because it's totally natural and healthy. No, no, no. You get canned. It's a hostile work environment. It is absolutely sexual misconduct. There is no denying that. So one of the, the first weird things about that is that what we end up having is we have CNN not suspending Tubin. So the New Yorker suspended Tubin. CNN did not. CNN said that he requested time off. Okay, he requested time off, and they granted it to deal with a personal matter. And then you had Brian Stelter go out there and say, "Oh, this is so terrible! How we lost uh, Jeffrey Tubin at this critical time." Uh, then you have an article in the New Yorker, and that is—is is it the New Yorker? Hold on, I'll make sure I got the right thing. Uh, New York Daily News. My apologies to the New Yorker. The New York Daily News had an entire column dedicated to how Tubin getting caught on camera diddling himself in a meeting during the workday was your fault. If you have an issue with it, it's because you are a prude. You're the weirdo. Not him. You are. And I wrote that article again at burningtruth.us. Now, a Toronto star opinion column. <laughs> Jeffrey Tubin didn't cover himself in glory or regrettably anything else in that fateful Zoom call, but CNN and his country need him, says Vinay Minot. <clears throat> um, so once again, you've got another publication now writing articles saying that we should not be suspending Tubin because Tubin is a critical legal analyst at election time. How dare we suspend this guy for, you know, diddling himself in front of coworkers without their permission. Now, the New Yorker, not New Yorker, the New York Daily News article I thought was interesting because I went back and I looked at what they wrote about Louis C.K., the comedian. Now, for those of you who don't remember, Louis C.K., Louis C.K. Uh, liked to diddle himself in front of people, and he would always ask permission, and he asked permission of the women who accused him as well. You remember what the defense of that was, or I should say the argument was? 
that because he was rich and famous, they weren't allowed to say no. So they felt compelled to say yes, and therefore it is his fault. Well, the New York Daily News has several articles that are not flattering at all to Louis C.K., who got permission to do this in front of people. Tubin didn't. Here's the other thing about Tubin that a lot of people are completely ignoring. Tubin has a long and rich history of being a pervert. And I, I am obviously, I think many of you have listened to me for any length of time, know that I am not a prude. But Jeffrey Tubin is known to go to sex clubs. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying he's known to go to sex clubs. Uh, he offered to, he offered, well, his ex-mistress, if you will, um, he offered to pay for the abortion and then pay for her to get in vitro fertilization down the line. She chose to keep the baby. He's disowned the baby. He uh, broke into or pushed open the door of a co-worker uh, and tried to force himself into her hotel room and then left very lewd messages on her voicemail. And there's a bunch of other stories about Jeffrey Tubin. Jeffrey Tubin is a guy who is well known to act inappropriately in a sexual manner to people around him. So this isn't something that is new. We, it's not like we're talking about somebody with a stellar reputation making a simple mistake, even, even as silly and ridiculous as it is. We are talking about a guy with a long, rich history of perverted behavior, inappropriate sexual misconduct, who during a meeting decided to go ahead and diddle himself in that meeting and then angle the camera down to frame himself diddling himself in that meeting. And you have members of the Blue Checkmark Brigade defending this guy and saying that we should forgive him after, after the Me Too movement. That's where we're at. So, ladies... Work is going to get a little bit more complicated for you on some of these Zoom calls because if there is a, I don't know, a highly important individual who works for your company and they want to diddle themselves on a Zoom call and you happen to be there, um, you're just going to have to deal with it because it's perfectly normal and natural for people to do according to these media elites. More coming up on 95.3 MNC.